This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Hello, my name is Barry Grinier. I'm the Education Coordinator in the Respiratory Care Department at Boston Children's Hospital. And today I'd like to outline a practical approach for choosing initial ventilator settings for a range of pediatric patients being ventilated with a conventional mechanical ventilator. Now this discussion assumes that you're, you've got a ventilator that's set up with a circuit and accessories appropriate for your patient size, and that you've put the ventilator through a pre-use check as per the manufacturer's recommendations. And we'll do an overview of a choice of mode of ventilation, choosing ventilator settings that define the mandatory breath type that you're using in that mode of ventilation, choosing uh, the other ventilator settings apl applicable in that mode. And finally, we'll talk a little bit about using pressure support in modes of ventilation that allow spontaneous breaths. Determining appropriate mode of ventilation. Now, choosing the mode of ventilation may seem daunting due to the proliferation of modes and mode names um, that have appeared on mechanical ventilators, but it may help to try to simplify the process a little bit by stating that all modes of ventilation can be fit into three main mode families, continuous mandatory ventilation, intermittent mandatory ventilation, and continuous spontaneous ventilation, and that these modes contain breaths that are either volume control or pressure control. With continuous mandatory ventilation, all breaths are mandatory, and these would include the so-called assist control modes that we have traditionally used. The intermittent mandatory ventilation modes offer a combination of mandatory and spontaneous breaths, and continuous spontaneous ventilation would include those modes of ventilation where all breaths are spontaneous. With volume control breaths, the tidal volume and the flow rate are set and delivered consistently from breath to breath to breath, and to do that, the ventilator will vary the pressure as needed. With pressure control breaths, the ventilator pressure is predetermined and volumes and flows are to some degree variable. With pressure control, the target pressure can be set, but sometimes in some of the newer modes of ventilation, the pressure is controlled by the ventilator to achieve a target tidal volume. So in modes such as pressure-regulated volume control, uh, if you dig into what's happening with that breath, the breath is volume-targeted, but it is delivered as a pressure-control breath. So it becomes apparent, if we can use this framework, that there are really five groups of ventilator modes, basically, that we can choose from. The continuous mandatory volume control type modes, which would include volume control assist control, the continuous mandatory pressure control modes, such as pressure control assist control and pressure regulated volume control assist control, the intermittent mandatory ventilation, uh, volume control and pressure control, which would, con which would include volume control SIMV on the one hand and pressure control SIMV and PRVC uh, SIMV on the other. And finally, the continuous spontaneous modes, which would include CPAP or 
using standalone pressure support, that is pressure support without mandatory breaths. When choosing a mode of ventilation, you might want to choose a mode with volume control mandatory breaths if the primary goal is to control tidal volume and minute volume in a very tight range, such as with patients with acute brain injury, where intracranial pressure is a consideration, or for some cardiovascular patients. Pressure control might be better suited if you're looking to control much more tightly ventilating pressures, both in terms of mean airway pressure or maximum alveolar pressure. Pressure control also offers variable gas flows. In, in some circumstances, that might better meet the inspiratory flow demands of your patient. Another reason for using pressure control is just by convention, we typically ventilate newborns and infants with pressure control type modes. And another pressure control type mode is pressure regulated volume control, which allows volume targeting of that pressure control breath and combines the variable flow of a pressure waveform with volume targeting. Having said that, the choice of modes of ventilation, whether it's assist control or SIMV, um, pressure control or volume control is very much based on tradition and comfort level. Controls that define mandatory breath type. And so maybe a much more important question is when we're ventilating our patients, what is the right tidal volume to use? We choose tidal volume based on the patient size and lung pathophysiology. And we should be indexing those volumes to the patient size, usually in milliliters per kilogram, and based on some measure of ideal or predicted body weight. For a general ICU patient uh, without lung disease in the PICU, the patient with refractory seizures or a post-operative patient without lung disease, the usual target tidal volume in our institution is eight milliliters per kilo. Whereas a patient with diffuse low compliance lung disease, the diffuse pneumonia patient or the patient with acute respiratory distress syndrome, uh, it would be much more appropriate to start with the tidal volume of five to seven milliliters per kilogram. Now there's some emerging evidence that a lung protective ventilation strategy, a low tidal volume strategy is probably beneficial for all patients. So it certainly would not be wrong to use five to seven milliliters per kilo to ventilate uh, all of your patients. A couple of potential exceptions to this general rule though are uh, when we're ventilating newborns, even with newborns with normal lungs, we're usually gonna have a target tidal volume of six to seven milliliters per kilo. Uh, that is usually achievable at a, a fairly low ventilating pressure. But with patients who are premature or with diffuse lung disease, three to five milliliters per kilo will be our target tidal volume range. Patients with obstructive airways disease, we would usually choose a strategy of using a larger tidal volume lower rate, and this is to minimize gas trapping. And in this case, we'd be using tidal volumes of eight, 10, or maybe even more milliliters per kilo. And for cardiac surgical patients, we would also adopt a larger tidal volume lower rate strategy, but in this case, the strategy would be employed to enhance hemodynamics. If you're choosing a mode that utilizes volume control mandatory breaths, and that's either volume control, assist control, or volume control SIMV type modes, we would set the tidal volume directly, but you're also going to have to choose a flow rate, which determines how fast the volume is delivered. The flow rate can be set either directly, usually as a peak flow rate, 
Uh, in this case, the ventilator will calculate the inspiratory time necessary to deliver that tidal volume at that flow rate. Or the flow rate can be set indirectly by setting an inspiratory time, in which case the ventilator will calculate the flow rate needed to deliver that volume in that set time interval. The set flow rate in any case needs to be adequate to meet the patient's inspiratory flow demands. Because even ventilators where flow is set directly, uh, oftentimes we'll now calculate and display the inspiratory time. Inspiratory time can be used as a guide for the choice of flow rate. A range of appropriate inspiratory times will be discussed a little later in the presentation. If you're choosing a mode of ventilation where pressure control breaths are the mandatory breath type, and that's either pressure control, assist control, or pressure control synchronized intermittent mandatory ventilation type modes. The breath is going to be defined by the target ventilating pressure and by a set inspiratory time. We're going to set an inspiratory pressure adequate to achieve the tidal volume that we have determined that's appropriate. In some ventilators, the peak inspiratory pressure is set directly. In some ventilators, the pressure for ventilation is set as a pressure above PEEP, sometimes referred to as the delta pressure. And in this case, the peak inspiratory pressure is the delta pressure plus the set PEEP. A reasonable initial range of setting peak inspiratory pressure is probably between 18 and 25 usually. You're going to use a number at the lower end of that range with patients with normal lungs, and you'll probably want to be near the high end of that range for patients with lung disease. Although with patients with sig significant lung disease, you may need to start at a higher initial peak inspiratory pressure than, than 25. In any case, we also want to avoid peak inspiratory pressures greater than 30 centimeters of water unless we have evidence of decreased chest wall compliance. When setting inspiratory time, inspiratory time is going to be directly related to the patient's size. And in our smallest patients, we may be choosing an inspiratory time as low as 0.3, seconds, where on our large patient in adolescence, those time intervals might be in the order of one second or even 1.2 seconds. It's important to understand that when you're setting inspiratory time in pressure control, the inspiratory time does not control inspiratory flow rate. Inspiratory flow rate is a function of respiratory system compliance and resistance and the magnitude of the set ventilating pressure. We're going to want to set inspiratory time uh, long enough to allow enough time for the lungs to fill adequately. And we're going to be trying to adjust inspiratory time so that the inspiratory flow rate approaches zero somewhere near the end of inspiration. So if you have access to flow graphics, you can use the inspiratory flow waveform to fine tune the inspiratory time. Choosing other settings. So we've outlined how to choose a ventilator mode, how to set settings around the mandatory breath rate that you've chosen to use. Let's now discuss the settings that are going to be common to all modes of ventilation with mandatory breaths. That is, the fraction of inspired oxygen concentration, or FiO2, or on some ventilators, it's set as a percent O2, the mandatory breath rate, positive end expiratory pressure, or PEEP, and the trigger sensitivity. Unless contraindicated, for instance, by prematurity or certain card cardiac lesions, we're going to use an FiO2 of 1 or 100% oxygen 
as our initial setting, but we're going to be ready to rapidly wean that based on some objective measure of oxygenation, such as the oxyhemoglobin saturation. The mandatory breath rate you choose is going to be dependent on the amount of spontaneous breathing that the patient's do, doing, as well as the degree of lung disease. Again, we have ranges of typical initial settings for respiratory rate uh, that are dependent on patient size and age. For newborns, that range might be between 20 and 40 or more. Um, for our larger ch patients, large children, adolescents, that rate is going to be lower, probably in the order of 12 to 20 as an initial setting. The point is, though, that you want to choose a respiratory rate that in combination with your tidal volume is going to ensure a minute ventilation adequate to achieve an acceptable level of carbon dioxide elimination. So one rule of thumb is that, at least with normal physiology, 100 milliliters per kilo per minute of volume should achieve uh, a reasonable level of, of CO2 elimination. It's important though to understand that this rule will underestimate the minute ventilation need with increased dead space from cardiopulmonary disease or for uh, increased carbon dioxide production as might occur with a patient who is febrile. It's customary, or it has become customary, to use low levels of PEEP with almost all ventilated patients to stabilize lung volume or functional residual capacity. So in our institution, we'll use uh, three, five, or maybe even seven Sinomese water of PEEP, even without lung disease. Though again, if you have a patient with already established uh, low compliance lung disease, you're gonna probably have to use eight or more centimeters of water pressure of PEEP, even as an initial setting. The trigger sensitivity is that threshold for the ventilator to recognize and respond to a patient's spontaneous breathing effort. Uh, on many new ventilators, that's set as an inspiratory flow rate, but it also may be set as a negative pressure that the patient creates during inspiration that's going to be uh, set relative to a baseline pressure or PEEP. We set trigger sensitivity to minimize patient work without causing auto-triggering, that is triggering on some artifact that is not the patient's spontaneous breath. Causes of auto-triggering include system leaks, such as a leak around the endotracheal tube, the movement of accumulated condensate in the ventilator circuit, or even the oscillations created by a hyperdynamic heart. If you are setting a flow trigger for our smaller patients, infants, small children, 0.25 to 0.5 liters per minute is probably a reasonable starting point. On bigger children, adolescents, one to two liters per minute is probably gonna be a reasonable place to start. With pressure trigger, for our smaller patients, we probably do not want to set more than one centimeter of water pressure as our threshold. Although for children, large children, adolescents, one to two centimeters of water pressure will be appropriate. Use of pressure support. With modes of ventilation that allow spontaneous breathing, such as the synchronized intermittent mandatory ventilation mode, we do have the option to support the patient's spontaneous breaths with pressure support. And we'll generally start with some minimal level, six to 10 centimeters of water pressure, for instance, um, to overcome the resistance of the endotracheal tube. But once the patient is breathing spontaneously, we will titrate that level to achieve a tidal volume of five to seven milliliters per kilo, which we consider a normal spontaneous tidal volume. 
With pressure support, since pressure support breaths are flow terminated or flow cycled, most ventilators have a setting uh, for that flow cycling criteria. And usually that setting is set as a percent of the peak inspiratory flow rate. That is, inspiration will end when inspiratory flow drops to some percent of the peak flow rate that was used during that breath. As an example, if the inspiratory flow criteria is set to 10% and the peak flow rate is 10 liters per minute, inspiration will end when inspiratory flow drops to 10% of peak flow or one liter per minute. 10 to 25% of peak flow is a reasonable initial setting for the flow cycling criteria. And that usually corresponds to the, to the default settings on a lot of the ventilators uh, that are available these days. Pressure support can also be used as a standalone mode, uh, sometimes referred to as straight pressure support. Again, there would be no mandatory breaths and no mandatory breath settings. Um, you might choose straight pressure support if the patient is breathing spontaneously and you want to allow that patient to have more control over respiratory rate and minute ventilation. Again, we would usually start with a minimal level of 6 to 10 centimeters of water pressure, titrating that level to achieve a tidal volume of 5 to 7 milliliters per kilogram. And the additional settings that would need to be set in straight pressure support would be FiO2, the PEEP level, trigger sensitivity, and on many ventilators there's backup ventilation which would require the setting of some mandatory settings that would ensure that the patient would be adequately supported should apnea occur. Case. To illustrate the process that we just outlined, let's use as an example a lean 30 kilo patient without lung disease in the PICU being ventilated postoperatively. By convention in our institution, we probably pick pressure control SIMV as our mode. But I'm going to have in mind the target tidal volume that I, that I want to achieve with this patient, which is going to be about 8 milliliters per kilo or 240 milliliters. Because the patient doesn't have lung disease, I'm going to start at a relatively low peak inspiratory pressure, 20. Again, once the patient is on the ventilator, I'm going to adjust that to achieve the target tidal volume. I'm going to choose an inspiratory time of 0.8 seconds. Because there's no contraindication, I'm going to choose an oxygen concentration of 100%. I'm going to choose 5 of PEEP just as a baseline pressure and a mandatory breath rate of 15 breaths per minute. And that 15 breaths combined with the 8 milliliters per kilo should yield a minute ventilation a little over 3 liters per minute. Anticipating that this patient at some point is going to wake up and start breathing spontaneously, I'm also going to set a flow trigger sensitivity that's appropriate, in this case one liter per minute. And I'm also going to set a minimal pressure support level of 6 and a flow cycling threshold of 15. In summary, the choice of mode of ventilation is probably less important than how that mode is applied to our individual patients which means setting control settings that ventilate our patients adequately and safely. And one of the prime concerns here is choosing a tidal volume appropriate to that patient's size and pathophysiology. Thank you. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide.
For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org. 